Welcome to the Modern Yogi Podcast, an exploration of ancient wisdom. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back. (laughs) What episode are we on, ladies? Episode 20. Two zero. We've made it. All right, so we are on chapter three, text number 34, but a quick recap of what we've talked about. So Krishna talks a lot about just doing your duty, right? Mm. And also he talks about also surrendering all of whatever profits, whatever, everything that you get is like, give it to him, like surrender all of your works onto Krishna and without you know, a, a need for profit or a need for some sort of particular outcome or recognition Don't be attached to those things. Without seeing yourself as the doer, yes. kind of slowly by slow, slowly by slowly, slowly <laughs> by slowly. <laughs> go chipping away at your ego through this process of karma yoga, offering your actions in service to Krishna. Yeah, it also says that um, you know it's better to do what you're supposed to do than something else. Yeah, your dharma like, than someone else's dharma. Right, like be true to yourself. Don't stop your from becoming that Olympic Olympic athlete. <laughs> We're having trouble with English today. <laughs> Olympic athlete. Um, yeah, don't have, I can't speak, guys. Um, it's better for you to f- go forward with your desire and fulfill it and attach Krishna consciousness to the side yeah. of that, right? Like karma yeah. yoga is continue doing your duty, continue doing the thing that you're good at. Um, and then also add Krishna consciousness and slowly that will guide you to like your ultimate path. Love that. Mm-hmm. Love that. And our Instagram. Yeah, we have one. Did you know? I know. <laughs> our tagline is at Modern Yogi Podcast. At Modern Yogi Podcast. At Modern Yogi Podcast. So if you don't know, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to see you there. Ask us any questions. Please DM us if you have any thoughts, questions, anything, concerns. Um, at Modern Yogi Podcast. Thank you, Brea. All right. The invocation lit is... Om Jnana Timirandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Translation. I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Chapter 3, text number 34. All right. Priya? There are principles to regulate attachment and aversion pertaining to the senses and their objects. One should not come under the control of such attachment and aversion because they are stumbling blocks on the path of self-realization. Mm. Let okay. me do it again, yeah? Yes, please. There are principles, so like rules kind of things, to help regulate becoming attached or becoming adverse. That's interesting. Like, so it's like, not just it's not one or the other. It's both yeah, attachment like and aversion. Liking something too much or refusing to even like it. You have to be kind of equipoised, balanced in the middle. We don't yeah. really want something. We don't really hate it. We're determined, like with horses with their blinders on, on our path of self-realization. Yeah, and this is particularly related to the senses and their objects. Mm. Right, right, so it says one should not be attached to the attachment or the aversion because they help you, they're stumbling blocks. So they make you fall down in your path of bhakti yoga. Of self-realization, of understanding who you are, that you're the soul, that you have a particular purpose, yeah? Right. There's a scandalous part of this purport I'd like so to read out. we're just going to dive into the <laughs> yeah. purport. You want to take it away, Shama? Yeah, okay. So according... Okay, this is a fun one. Okay. I never really read the purport. I let you guys do it, but I really want to read this one. Okay. According <laughs> to scrip- scriptural injunctions, one is forbidden to engage in sex relationships with any woman 
other than one's wife. Okay, so remember, this is we're talking about attachment and aversion now, right? All other women are to be considered as one's mother. But in spite of such injunctions, a man is still inclined to have sex relationships with other women. These propensities are to be curbed. Otherwise, they will be stumbling blocks on the path of self-realization. We need we need a male perspective here. We need so there's this one line. Okay, there's one line that says, okay. It says, but in spite of such injunctions, a man is still inclined to have sex relationships with other women. Now, I know that there's like a whole bunch of scriptures and stuff that talk about lust. And we're going to talk a lot about lust in this episode, too. And so I'm just like, basically, like these desires and things that we're not supposed to have are stumbling blocks in our path of devotion, correct? Well, yeah, I also think it's interesting because it, right before that it says, for example, since it, uh, sex enjoyment is a necessity for the conditioned soul and sex enjoyment is allowed under the license of marriage marriage ties. So it's like, okay, it's something that we will experience similar to like someone and not refusing to do their job, right? But like there are rules, right? right? But there's regulations. Like you don't want to be addicted and you don't want to be like, I hate all women. Yes. <laughs> like right. you don't want to be yes, on like quite yeah. the spectrums of that, right? Like, so it's, it's kind of like, uh, this is my interpretation. You guys can correct me if, if you feel like I'm going the wrong way, but it's kind of like, it is a necessity, just like having a job is a necessity. So we must still do our job, but understand that there's regulations for this and we shouldn't be too attached or too adverse. Right. right. Yeah. I, I think when we all have partners, we, um, I mean, everyone has eyes, you know what I mean? And you'll, you'll see somebody that's like, oh, this person's good looking or this person's smart. And like, sometimes you compare to your partner, right? But it's also like, you need to follow the rules. If you're committed to one person, then you're committed to one person, right? Mm-hmm. So there has to be rules. And if this sounds rigid to anyone, I want to throw it out there. There's stepping blocks that each time, depending on where you're at on the path, you go tightening the knot a little bit more, a little bit more. Because ultimately, we're going to, even in the purport, it says, as long as you have a material body, there's going to be necessities of the material body that are allowed. But it just depends how much progress do you want to make in this life? How much do you want to really make it worth it? You know, I kind of think of it like a kid in a candy shop. If you go totally crazy consume with all the candy, well, first of all, you'll get a stomach ache, but also you're just totally going to lose sight of what's the point here anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's not saying necessarily it's a bad thing. It's just saying, let's put certain rules and regulations in place so that you can make the most of this human life and not totally get devoid of what is the point. And I mean, there, it goes one step even further to say that Even within rules and regulations, there's even danger on the safest road because you can totally still get deviated. So just always keep in mind, how much progress do you want to make in this life with regards to self-realization? Yeah, I just want to add, like, I think it's the first thought process you could say is like, everything's good with moderation. But in this sense, it's like everything's good with moderation and the rules and like of our Vedic scriptures, right? So like Mm -hmm. moderation, meaning you don't want to become addicted, Right. Like that's mm-hmm. not the goal. So therefore it says only with your wife or like the person that or husband, whoever mm-hmm. you're married to, that's like the first, you know, like the utmost level to adhere to. But also like, I think it's beyond that also in terms of like not creating 
insane attachment, but not creating aversion even within that relationship. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, totally. It does take it a step further. Definitely. It says that even within the rules and regulations, be careful because that's the whole metaphor they say of even there's danger on the safest road. So if you put all these rules in place to, okay, I'm doing it in a regulated way, but you become like so attached and you can only think of like, ah, this is the time when we're going to be whatever, enjoying our senses. And you're so consumed by that. That's not the point either to just totally lose sight of everything and you're just consumed by enjoying in your senses. Right. I do want to throw it back to our producer because I do want a male perspective on this. And so totally. Abhijit, sir, producer, is like, <laughs> do you find that it's harder for men to adhere to this, right? To like, just, just like focus on one person at a time. I would say we need to acknowledge um, God's creation, Krishna's creation. And he's created all of us to have different strengths and weaknesses, right? right. And um, there's a saying, uh, testosterone is a hell of a drug, <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> which uh, men have in abundance, right? Yes. And so it's like a double-edged sword. We have like this fearsome weapon of testosterone, which both gives you many benefits like that fighting ability, the ability to put on muscle and like, you know, yeah. yeah, like all the things that men are perhaps more suited to. At the same time, that also gives you that extra desire, desire, libido, whatever it is that causes men to have that extra desire. And so uh, the advice that's given is <laughs> think of them all as your mom. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> right? Uh, it's, it's just an idea. <laughs> it's just an idea like, you know. Um, Everyone uh, besides your wife. Exactly. Yeah. So that you have some method to curb your appeal. I mean, it's any, any desire or addiction that might, that anybody might have, like some yeah. people are predisposed to eating. So then what are, what are they told to do? Like, you know, preoccupy yourself with something else, mm. or if you're a smoker, right. Preoccupy yourself with something else. So I think that's kind of the message here. I love that. Yourself. No, I love that. I just like to have a male perspective on this purport. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting yeah. how here the they call safety. it. Yeah, the sense enjoyment spirit. They say that it's been around for so long. Because, right, we've already established we've been in this world for billions of lifetimes, longer than we can even wrap our head around through reincarnation. So since we've been in contact with this material nature so long, it's kind of like when I, I brought this up the other day, when you pull the plug on the fan, the, flan, the fan, the, the wings are slowly slowing down. So it's not like even if we have knowledge of all this consciousness, all this beautiful text, it's going to be hard to curb certain desires that right. have been in place for so long. Right. So there you just try to rely on developing a higher taste, like something that's even more worthwhile and still stay within kind of, okay, try to regulate it to some mm -hmm. extent. Yeah, actually, this this reminds me of the verse in which we were talking about not becoming an, uh, a pretender, like a renunciate yep. un unnecessarily. Like the idea of like, you might read this text and be like, oh my God, I have to like stop and not think about this at all. Like pretending instead of acknowledging where you're at and working slowly towards progress. Yeah, I think right. working slowly towards progress is like our motto in Krishna consciousness. Right, because yeah. we know when we repress something, it'll come back full force even stronger than before. Yeah. So we're not trying to repress anything. And I don't think it's even saying something is bad. Like that analogy of the kid in the candy shop is just you're going to lose sight of what's the point of being in this world anyway. Right. Yeah. So it's like 
back to the question of, well, how much progress in getting to know God do you want to make in this life? That's what the question is. Yeah. In terms of repressing something, I just had, I just had this memory of uh, one of my teachers, one of my spiritual teachers told me some, a long time ago, uh, never to chant my rounds while hungry, because what ends up happening is like you're chanting, but you're thinking, oh God, when am I going to eat my food? When am I going to eat my food? (laughs) And so like, you're not really at that point, like actually focusing on the holy name. And so it's like, um, I think repression of any kind mm-hmm. actually ends up getting in the way of right. progress because it's like a constant reminder. Right, right. And so chanting rounds is like when you, when you say like when you're going to like Sankirtan yagra, Yagya, right? Yeah. And so chanting rounds is what you said is like when you're meditating on meditation beads and you're repeating a mantra over and over again, right? The Hare yes. Krishna mantra that yes. we mentioned right. earlier. Kind of like having a private conversation with God, which we had mentioned. Yeah, yeah, we have different types of practices. We have practices in which we gather with many people and chant together loudly. And then there's practices in which we were by ourselves with our beads, kind of like a rosary, if you have mm-hmm. that kind of pers- like that in mind and you go chanting the maha mantra at every bead and so that's yeah. more of a personal connection between you and krishna and it's a listening practice right it because is. you're listening and they always say that praying is talking to god but meditation is listening to god mm. right and so chanting rounds is essentially like listening to a mantra over and over again that you're saying and trying to connect to god through that sound vibration mm. very cool cool all right anything else on text number 34 I don't think so. 35. All right. 35. It is far better to discharge one's prescribed duties, even though faulty, than others' duties perfectly. Destruction Mm. in the course of performing one's own duty is better than engaging in another's duties. For to follow another's path is dangerous. Ooh, you know, this kind of for me connects to the concept of envy. Because when you're envious, you like, I want what she has. I want her life. That's a dangerous path, as this verse is saying. You need to own up to fully what you've been given by the Lord and utilize that to its full capacity on your own path, your duties, not someone else's. Don't keep your eyes focused on your own path. And to be honest, like, say you come from a line of like librarians, right? You know, your grandpa (laughs) was a librarian and you're a librarian and like, you're really good at being a librarian. And then all of a sudden someone's like, you should be like a rock star. And then you're like, oh, okay. And then you try it and it doesn't, and it doesn't work because you're trying to do something that is not in your nature. Right. Mm. And so it's it's better to do your own duty than to do someone else's. (laughs) Right. Duty essentially means, uh, we said duty so many times in this verse. (laughs) It's making me giggle a little bit. But essentially, it's like doing your own dharma. (laughs) Yeah. You know, for some reason, this reminded me when I ice skated. Everyone has their own style in everything. And when I ice skated, I had my own style. There was one one time I was looking at this one girl. She was older than me. She was an incredible ice skater. And I liked her style. So for just one second, it was literally a second. I thought, ooh, let me try that. So I tried around and I had uh, my my Russian choreographer, Evgeny Numerovsky. He was standing there and he, he looks at me and within five seconds of me trying out like some movement that this Angela girl did. He's like, Shamli, what are you doing? I was like, oh, sorry, sorry, nothing. I don't know. And for some reason that jumped in my head when we were saying, don't do someone else's duty or their style or their Mm. path. Own up to your own. And it takes a lot of self-awareness, right? Because you have to know what your composition is of goodness, passion, and ignorance, right? Like say you come from a whole lineage, again, of librarians, right? (laughs) You're going to be a lot more in the mode of goodness. And now you're trying to be a techno artist, which is a lot in the mode of passion. Passion. And it's not going to line up with your nature. Yeah, for sure. If I bring this back to Arjuna, it's like he's saying like if you become like a a monk in the forest 
right? Like that's not what you're meant to do, right? So like in, it's going to create a chaotic situation. We would not have the Bhagavad Gita if Arjuna had decided mm-hmm. to go into the forest. Yeah, right? if all of the right? people that are meant to be warriors all of a sudden decide decided. to go meditate mm. in a mountain, their world would be chaos, right? Yeah. Because there'd be no one here to protect yeah, the, right. the people who need protection. Right. It's interesting because in the purport, they break down what are materially prescribed duties and what are spiritually prescribed duties, which we've already mentioned kind of with regards to your eternal dharma or your temporary dharma. But then it says, but whether they're material or spiritual duties, one should stick to his prescribed duties, even up to death, rather than imitate another's duties. Yeah, <laughs> imitation's not good. Very tired. Yeah. It also says, for example, a brahmana who is in the mode of goodness is nonviolent, whereas a chatriya who is in the mode of passion is allowed to be violent. As such, for a chatriya, it is better to be vanquished following the rules of violence than to imitate a brahmana who follows the principles of nonviolence. Same thing, right? So brahmana is like, well, like we talked about, like the, priest, the scholars, yeah. the priests, right? And mm-hmm. then chatriyas are the warriors, the army, the, that. Right. And so it's like, you gotta, you gotta follow through. You, if you are a priest, you are aligned with nonviolence. If you are a chatriya, an army person, you are aligned with violence for the right. sake of protection. Yes. Right. And it's, it's, Oh, I was going to say, but then it it actually says, um, uh, there's two things that I found interesting here. One, it's like a kind of a random thing. It says everyone has to cleanse his heart by a gradual process, not abruptly, right? So like that's important, right? We s- Small progress is better than abrupt. Mm-hmm. But then the second part is in Krishna consciousness, he can perform anything and everything under ev- uh, the direction of the bona fide spiritual master, so a chatriya can act as a brahmana and a brahmana can act as a chatriya. So like there's this sort of distinction that when you are in Krishna consciousness, these designations don't matter as much. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was an interesting juxtaposition to the point of like do your duty. It's still like you can act as a chatriya, but you're still a brahmana, mm-hmm. right? Like you're still holding your position. So Arjuna can act wise, knowledgeable, like a sage, but he's still, his duty is still to be, to be right. a warrior. A warrior. Yep. Like, you know, Arjuna's brother, Yudhisthira, was known as like he, such a dharmic, such a duty bound person that he actually had the nature more of a brahmana, they say. But so, so a in, priest, yeah. Yeah, a priest. And he would have much rather done that than fight in this really intense war. But he still did it, even though the principles maybe didn't necessarily have to apply to him because he was so liberated and transcendental and Krishna conscious that he could have done Brahminical things and been a priest. But just to set the example for everyone else to follow, he still did his duties and fought his satria warfare like duties, even though he could have retired to a forest. Love that. Yeah. Anything else, guys, before we move on to text 36? Shamali. All right. Arjuna said, O descendant of Rishni, by what is one impelled to sinful acts, even unwillingly, as if engaged by force? So mm. Arjuna's saying, O descendant of Rishni, as in Krishna, right? Yeah, oh, Krishna. Okay. Yeah. Why are we made to act sinfully? Like, doesn't it sometimes feel like, yeah, you do things against your will? We yes. know better. Yeah. We know better, but we're still going to do it. Yeah, impelled means driven. Mm-hmm. So why is one driven to sinful act? Right, because in the purport it says, this is an interesting question because, right, the living entity, our souls, which are part and parcel of the Supreme, by nature, they're, they're spiritual, pure, free of all contamination. But when we come into contact with the material nature and the material world, that's when we may act 
in in under influence of the modes, yes. we may act against our will. It's a will. good question. It's a very good question, right? Because yeah. he's like really being honest and vulnerable. And he's like, Krishna, like why? Like even though we're not trying to do bad things, but how come like there's this there's this force that forces us to do it? You know what I mean? Yeah, and and I looked up the the meaning of sanguine. 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 Yeah, yeah, what is the what is the and context of that? Sanguine. 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 Thank you. I, I said it right, just without confidence. <laughs> uh, but it means optimistic. So like Arjuna was like optimistic. Like he's like, yeah, I mean, I want to do the right thing, but why do I sometimes not do the right thing? Right. right? Like I think right, that right. like that was the mood of how he asked yeah, that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, text thirty-seven. Priya, the supreme personality of God had said, "It is lust only, Arjuna." which is born of contact with the material mode of passion and later transformed into wrath and which is all is the all-devouring sinful enemy of this world. We talked about this a little bit in chapter two, right? Yeah, because they really give the breakdown, have one thing transformed to right. another, to another, to another, leading to wrath. And the first thing was this lust, right? Do you have the definition mm-hmm. of lust yes. for us, Brian? Uh, lust, feeling strong desire for something. So oftentimes we think of lust as just like the sexual desire, but it can also mean feeling strong desire for something. Like wanting something. Anything, Car, right? Promotion, and anything this, else. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And in this case, like, why are we in this? material world because we desire to have things that we envied Krishna and wanted to have our own desires of things that we wanted to experience. Right. Right. So I think he's saying literally here, like this desire for something, this desire that we all have to achieve this or to do that or whatever, that's actually the reason why we behave in the ways we behave. Yeah, that's real. And it's interesting. They say everything in this world is kind of like a perverted reflection of true, pure spiritual feelings. So jump to the one verse in the purport. It says, the sense of love of God becomes in this world transformed into lust as milk in contact with sour tamarind is transformed into yogurt. Mm. So something that was once originally so pure can be so yeah diluted here yeah in chapter two we we use this example of like someone really wanting a red ferrari right before you say that it actually ties into this it says when lust is unsatisfied so when the desire to obtain Mm -hmm. something is unsatisfied it turns into wrath yes and then then wrath wrath transforms into into illusion and then illusion continues the material existence meaning it creates another bond right between us do you remember the example right we wanted that red ferrari right so we just crave it crave it crave it all we did was think about it we lusted after it right? Then we realize we didn't have a million dollars in the bank account. And then it turns to anger where it's like, why, why am I in this position where I can't get the things that I want? Right. Mm -hmm. It turns to anger and then it turns to delusion. It's like, what do I need to do to steal this red fry? Right? Like, <laughs> you can think of these crazy thoughts when yeah. you're like, when you want something so bad. And right? now we know what Shama thinks of when she lies in bed at night. <laughs> stealing <laughs> that red Ferrari. Stealing the red Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, but then like potentially stealing it or even thinking about stealing it is creating these reactions yeah. and this attachment to potentially having this, which later on basically means that you get another life so that you can potentially have that red Ferrari. And do we really want another life to have that red Ferrari? No. Right. pass. So that's why they say lust is the greatest enemy of the living entity. And it's just so interesting how everything kind of becomes degraded. So if we can use the mode of passion, instead of like letting it degrade into the mode of ignorance, we got to elevate it into the mode of goodness by living and acting through these spiritual practices. Yeah. It also says that wrath is the manifestation of the mode of ignorance, um, which I never thought about that. Like anger is actually comes from ignorance. 
No, wait, isn't anger passion? Well, it says right, here, that's what, wrath is the manifestation of the mode of ignorance. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's why I thought it was interesting. I was bringing it up. So it's well, very interesting. Anger almost derives from potential ignorance. Maybe it's a combination of ignorance and passion. Right. No, because the next line down, I think it's both passion might lead to wrath because the next line down says, therefore the mode of passion, instead of degrading it into the mode of ignorance, elevated to the mode of goodness. So wrath, if you think of it, is kind of stemming from passion, right? When you, you have the mode of ignorance, goodness, passion. No, that's saying, therefore, the mode of passion, instead of being degraded into the mode of ignorance, is elevated to the mode of goodness. That's not relevant to the wrath as the manifestation of mode of ignorance. But one thing will ultimately lead to the other, kind of. So sure, 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 passion sure. can lead to ignorance. So what I'm saying is maybe passion comes before wrath, because to be in a wrathful state... Which of the three modes oh, are you right. in? This is great. Let's let's take it back to the verse exactly, right? Because it's it, like <laughs> Krishna says, it is lust only, which is born of contact with the mode of passion, right? So lust equals passion, and then wrath equals mode of ignorance, mm. right? Krishna, that Krishna, makes sense. Krishna has all the answers. Yeah, because having a strong desire for something is that passion. I want this right, thing. Right, right. So then when we get angry, it's actually from ignorance of not understanding that we can get that yes. thing because it's not meant for us. Right. So that's kind of what I was thinking. Passion comes way before or down the line. And then at some point, wrath manifests itself from frustrated sense of passion. No, from ignorance. Well, the, or passion is one of the modes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do it again. So in the verse, it says yes. lust comes from passion and then it transforms into wrath through and then it says wrath is the manifestation of the mode of ignorance right right but way way but down the line there's passion wait passion was the first one when it comes to lust right right yeah that's what i'm saying way down the line at the beginning is passion then lust See, these modes are very confusing, right? <laughs> so, okay, let's review the modes again, okay? Because we're having a discussion, and, and it's true. If you guys, if we're confused, then you, you guys are probably confused too, right? So remember, the three modes of material nature are goodness, passion, and ignorance. Mm -hmm. In this particular vo verse, Krishna is saying that lust comes first, right? We lust for things. We lust for having the right partner. We lust for having right. that Ferrari. We lust for having that promotion, right? And that lust is because we want things. That is us being in the mode of Passion. passion. There we go. Right? right. And once we don't get those things, that trans that makes us go elevator down. Do, 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 do. When we don't get that thing that we wanted, it turns into wrath and anger. Right. And that is the mode of ignorance. ignorance. Right. Beautiful. Right. Love that. All right. I think that's clear. Yeah. Anything else on this verse, guys? So it says, if lust is transformed into love for the supreme or transformed into Krishna consciousness, then both lust and wrath can be spiritualized. Ooh. See, and that's the, that's the point, right? Because yeah. we all have those things inside of us. If we can spiritualize them, that's the name of the game. Right. Yeah. I love how it talks about our independence and using it correctly. Like, because it says when we misuse our independence is when we can try to transform. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> by misuse of our independence when the service attitude is transformed in the, into the propensity of sense enjoyment. So we have to really be careful how we use our free will because our senses can, can go all astray. Yeah. And so in the last sentence of uh, text 37, it says um, in the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord induces Arjuna to engage his wrath upon his enemies for the satisfaction of the Lord. Therefore, lust and wrath, when they are employed in Krishna consciousness, become our friends instead of our enemies. Ah, mm. So when you're using these things for good for reasons, the Dharma, for, for your dharma, duty, 
karma yoga, then it's good. Yeah. I love that. There's two points here quickly that I think are interesting. You know, this whole world, it says, was created by the Lord to give faculty to the conditioned soul to fulfill these lustful propensities. So because we had the desire to come and enjoy, all righty, he's giving us almost like a playground where we can do that if we want. But don't fall for the trap. Don't enjoy all the sweets in the candy shop. But the Lord gave us that option if we yes. want to, you know. The candy shop is there. But it all stops when, <laughs> we begin, yeah, when we begin to inquire, what is our real position? And this brings me to the second point that I think is very interesting. When one finally inquires about the Supreme, they say the Supreme is defined as the origin of everything. And therefore, the origin of lust is also in the Supreme. That's yeah. so interesting. It comes originally from him but right it has to be transformed into more a pure form of love of god yeah i mean everything comes from krishna right yeah. so at the end of the day like all of these qualities that we have he has them all yep. yeah yeah all, all right. right text number 38 as fire is covered by smoke as mirror as a mirror is covered by dust or as the embryo is covered by the womb the living entity is similarly covered by different degrees of lust Mm. Can we now say, and I don't know if that's the appropriate thing to do, but every time we say lust, I want to think about like desire, right? Like yeah. it's like this uh, strong desire for something because that that makes it easier in my head to understand. Because like if I read this text again, based on what you just said, is like our, um, we are covered by different degrees of what we want. Of desire. In, of right. desire. Yeah, well, let's right? stretch it out. Let's I mean, we don't desire. have to, we can just say like yeah. lust slash desire. Love that. <laughs> but it's it true. It's like, it's like these things, like a mirror definitely has dust on it. An embryo has a womb on it. Like these things are definite, right? And so just like that, we mm. are definitely covered in some degrees of desire. Right. I mean, yeah. No matter where we are on the progress, we're definitely covered by some degrees. Yeah. Right. And I think like it, by degrees, I think it's talking about like the difference between like the Dalai Lama's d- desires versus like <laughs> us. You know what us, I mean? <laughs> Whereas, like, I'm sure he has a lot less desires than yeah. we do. Right. We're yeah. like out here trying to sell merch. Like, <laughs> we merch. are not trying to sell merch. <laughs> <laughs> we're just trying right? to do a podcast. Okay. <laughs> Our t shirt from the Modern Yogi is coming out very soon. Make sure oh to my God. <laughs> <laughs> we are kidding. Maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically, like, th- these things have these coverings, and so we have this covering of desire, too, diff- yeah. to different degrees. So, yeah, just to dovetail your desires, my spiritual master at one point told me, I hope all of your desires come true. And then in brackets, he said, the Krishna conscious ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's, yeah, I love That's that. really sweet. Anything else on text number 38? I just like the last few lines that says, um, well, right, this form of life, the entity might revive a little Krishna consciousness. So if he makes that development, then it's like the fire of spiritual life can be kindled. But if we carefully handle it, the smoke of the fire can be turned into a blaze. So it's all in our hands. We're holding like the in the palm of our hands, the little light of bhakti, of love of Krishna. And depending how thoughtful we are and how we tailor our days and our lives, that little spark can turn into a huge blazing fire. Yep. Yeah. So basically we can conquer the enemy lust by cultivating our Krishna consciousness under someone's guidance. Yes. That's, mm-hmm. that's it. Name Beautiful. of the game. Okay, text 39, ladies. Yes. Thus, the wise living entity's pure consciousness becomes covered by his eternal enemy in the form of lust. 
or as we've said, desires, which is never satisfied and which burns like fire. Ooh, so it's basically that lust is never satisfied. When you want one right. thing, you want something else. It's kind yeah. of like similar to this notion of like, like the pre- pleasure principle, right? What is pleasure? It's dopamine, right? And what mm. does dopamine want? More dopamine. Like when we get right. something, we're like, okay, I want this again and again and again. That's why we're so attached to our phones, right? right? Oh we see God, the little yeah. red notification. We're like, oh my God, someone said something <laughs> cute about me. And then yeah. we put it down. And five minutes later, we check it again to see right. if there was another hit of dopamine. I mean, I even remember this from a macro microeconomics class I took in college. It was saying that, right, humans are insatiable and it's only a certain amount of time that we're going to be over our new shiny object mm-hmm. by the time we want to get a new one. Yeah. So whether you're following this karma yoga text three of the Bhagavad Gita or taking an economics class is a pretty universal principle. We're yeah. insatiable beings. Yeah. I watched uh, this video today where this guy was talking about how he has his phone in black and white, like his whole phone. Every app is black and white. And he says he's so addicted to his phone that putting it in black and white helps <laughs> because if you scroll through Instagram, whatever it might be in black and white it doesn't appease your senses as much like so your eyes Genius. like they're, it's not as interesting to your eyes the senses Whoa. right so of seeing so he's like it becomes uninteresting and then I don't look at it for as long and I thought oh my goodness like our senses really do have control over us and it's so incredible that's kind of genius yeah that's that's genius. really really interesting and it's true it's like never satisfied because we just want things and want things and want things and like you can there's so many articles about how all these C-suite executives these rich people in corporations are like have depression and anxiety they can literally buy anything that they mm. want right? right it's like they have all these desires and they think that buying more things will make them happy yeah. but right. it's, it's never the case gosh our whole civilization is based on moving forward through sense gratification which ultimately is going to increase how long we're here in this life kind of how i said in regards to with our little sex talk yep. <laughs> it's just about how much progress do you want to make in this life towards love of God because these things get in the way. A hundred percent. And this verse, it says the eternal enemy in the form of lust. It's not just a regular enemy. You know what I mean? It's literally the eternal enemy is lust. And that's how hard, like we have to spend our whole lives combating lust. That desire, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, And so the last sentence here says, while one enjoys sense gratification, it may be that there is some feeling of happiness, but actually that so called feeling of happiness is the ultimate enemy of the sense enjoyer because we are like you said seeking more happiness we have a little bit and we want more and the thing is happiness is not it's temporary it's fleeting it's like it comes Mm -hmm. and goes and it's not something that stays forever so then it's like the dopamine that you were talking about Mm -hmm. yeah yep so text 40 priya all right the senses the mind the intelligence are the sitting places of this lust desire through them Lust, desire, covers the real knowledge of the living entity and bewilders him. It's so interesting because we're literally on a spiritual battlefield here. The enemy or lust has captured different strategic positions in the body of our our conditioned soul, of our being. And Krishna, he's giving kind of a roadmap or little hints of where are these places so that we know how to conquer the enemy. We can find the enemy. Yeah, I love using the the dog walker analogy. So stick with me for a second, guys, right? right? So what is the job of a dog walker, right? Just to have a peaceful walk with the dogs, right? Mm. That is the goal, to have a peaceful walk. So like, let's just say that 
the dog walker is given five dogs to walk, right? Imagine you aren't giving leashes for any of them. How hard is it for, to walk these dogs, right? We talked about this analogy before, yeah. right? And it's so difficult to walk these five dogs, all these five senses, because they run wild, right? So we need to put leashes on them. The leashes are actually our mind, right? Mm, because our mm-hmm. mind controls them. But our intelligence decides whether where what direction that they're going in, right? So the intelligence controls the mind. The mind controls the senses. Oof. And so the senses are the ones that are craving all of these desires, right? Our eyes want to see all these things. Our nose wants to smell all these things. Our ears want to hear all these mm-hmm. things, right? And so we need to work backwards, have our mind control these senses, and have our intelligence control our mind mm. so that we can have a peaceful walk. Right. I life. really like that. It's a great Thanks. example. Beautiful. That kind of summarized the purport, kind of breaks it all down about the intelligence, the mind, the senses, and it says that intelligence department becomes the capital of such lustful propensities. But the intelligence is also immediately next door neighbor of the spirit soul. So we got to use the intelligence to conquer all of these different desires and propensities that are ultimately don't, doesn't everyone have self-destructive tendencies sometimes? Yeah. We have to filter it through our intelligence. Anything else for text 40, Bria? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Text 41. Is that me? Yes. All right. Therefore, O Arjuna, best of the Bharatas, in the very beginning, curb this great symbol of sin or lust by regulating the senses and slay this destroyer of knowledge and self-realization. So this is Krishna talking to Arjuna. Yeah, right. he's saying that the desires or lust destroy knowledge and self-realization. Therefore, we have to curb them or leash them. We have to leash them. Yeah. <laughs> because without it, those senses will go crazy, right? Right. And that's why it makes sense to look at lust as desires because, right, it's saying Lord Krishna advised Arjuna to regulate senses from, for, or lust from the very beginning. But Arjuna is also so elevated that it's like, well, it makes sense for someone like him then that it wouldn't just be, I don't know, sensual, sexual desires, but it's all sorts of desires, lust. Yeah. Yeah. So from a stage of life, from any stage of life or from the time of understanding its urgency, one can begin regulating the senses in Krishna consciousness, devotional service of the Lord, and turn lust into love of Godhead. So taking mm. those senses, those five dogs that we have, right, yeah. and engaging them in the service of Krishna, having having the, the, them, sm- I was like, having the dog smell the flowers, <laughs> like having the, the sense of smell, like smell the flowers that were offered to Krishna, or having your tongue taste the food that was mm. offered to Krishna, right? Engaging those five senses in the service of Krishna. Right. I love how they describe the knowledge of the self and the supreme self as something that's very confidential and mysterious. That is through having the correct service attitude that you can tap into this mysterious knowledge of self-realization. And it says that at any stage in life or from time, understanding its urgency of we got to get out of this world and connect to Krishna, we try to turn lust into love of God, the highest perfectional stage of human life. Love that. That is the highest perfectional stage of human life. Well said. Mm. Love that. Mm-hmm. All right. Text number 42. Shelly. Okay. The working senses are superior to dull matter. Ah, so here's going to be a breakdown. Yes. Number one, the working senses are superior to dull matter. Number two, the mind is higher than the senses. Number three, intelligence is still higher than the mind. 
And then lastly, he, the soul, is even higher than the intelligence. Oh, I forgot to mention that in my dog walking analogy, <laughs> like the person who is actually walking the dog is the soul, right? Like, like it's actually us. Mm-hmm. We are in charge of our intelligence. Our intelligences are in charge of our mind, which is the leashes. And that controls the five senses, which are the five dogs, right? Mm-hmm. So in order for the soul to have a peaceful walk, all of these things need to be in check. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of the hierarchy that you mentioned, right, Shani? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it says the senses are different outlets for the activities of lust or desire. So like, I want to taste this. I want to smell this. I want to go see this. Uh, All of that, like this. I want to go see Harry Styles in in, (laughs) In concert. (laughs) Right. But if we engage our senses in a superior consciousness, we don't use these outlets then. Yeah. So it's, it's basically... Being aware that all these, I want to see, I want to hear, I want to like controlling these and like allowing your mind to like rein everything in. Yeah. Right. And I love this line. It says in Krishna consciousness, the soul makes direct connection with the supreme personality. Thus, this hierarchy of bodily functions, as we described here, ultimately ends in the supreme soul. He's able to give us the strength. He's Rishikesh, controller of the senses. Yeah, and there's one there's one purport that uh, part of the purport that I love is like if the mind is directly engaged in the service of the Lord, there is no chance that the senses will be engaged in other ways, mm-hmm. right? So you know, you're really putting the leash on them. And it's really hard because it says, but it's, since the mind is active, even mm-hmm. though the body may be silent and at rest, the mind will act as it does during dreaming. Oh my God. Yeah. Like right. it's really hard. Like yeah. our mind is like always working. I, I was, I, go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, especially for women. Like we're always like, <laughs> yeah, and our minds are full of thoughts. I mean, I'm not saying men are not having thoughts. Okay. <laughs> but they yeah. have the they nothing have box thoughts. that they can tap into. Like when you ask a guy, what do you think? No, nothing. No, come on. Tell no, me. No, I literally believe that they're thinking of nothing. Like, yeah, I yeah. I, I believe no, too. women don't have a nothing box. We have just millions of connections that lead to other <laughs> connections that is always buzzing with connections. Do you agree with this assessment? Oh, oh Lord, Lord, Sir, Sir Abhijit? Abhijit? What do you think about? Nothing means... <laughs> <laughs> nothing means nothing that you want to share. It's like, what if a turtle fought a bear? <laughs> that's the most man thing I ever heard. That's so funny. See, so, we wouldn't be having such simplistic thoughts. That just wouldn't happen. So you are that's having hilarious. thoughts, but they're just like so irrelevant. They're just man thoughts. <laughs> so like just random that you're like, oh, just nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing that I want to share. That's like actually new information. For that's me. really funny. That's fantastic. But it's good to know this hierarchy, so we know how to channel it. Because like, okay, above the mind is the determination of the intelligence and above the intelligence is the soul. So if the soul's engaged in serving Krishna or engaged in associating, interacting with Krishna personally, then naturally all the other subordinates in the hierarchy, like the intelligence mind senses, they'll be engaged and under control. Yeah. Love that. Anything else for 42 before we move on to the final verse of chapter three? No. It just says, um, even though the soul is the master of intelligence and mind and the senses also, Still, unless it's strained by the association of Krishna and Krishna consciousness, there's a very chance of falling down due to an agitated mind. Oh, so like yes. we've, we've discovered, there's a few things that are plaguing us in life, mm-hmm. like anxiety and agitated mind. And like all of this can be helped through Krishna consciousness, through trying to control the mind to not go crazy on the senses. Yes. Right. And we have to, the de- key word was determination. With the determination of the intelligence, we have to seek out our eternal position and engage the mind with associating with Krishna. Yeah. All right. The final verse of chapter three, Priyadarshini. 
Thus, knowing oneself to be transcendental to the material senses, mind, and intelligence, O mighty armed Arjuna, one should be one should steady the mind by deliberate spiritual intelligence, Krishna consciousness, and thus by spiritual strength conquer this insatiable enemy known as lust. I love that. So when you cultivate Krishna consciousness, you're essentially developing what he says here is spiritual strength, mm. basically to beat up this like desire of lust. Of desire, yeah. Yeah. Mm. This wanting of many things, of material things, of... Yeah, this this is a perfect ending to, <laughs> to to this entire chapter because it yeah. sums everything up. Right, it's given us kind of like a checklist. No, exactly what you're saying. It's given us a checklist that, in order to connect in a personal, loving way to Krishna, we have these directives. We have to number one know ourselves as the eternal servitor of the Lord, not as oh everyone should serve me. It's me, 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 me. Without considering impersonal voidness as the end, we're trying to ultimately please Krishna, to connect to Krishna. And yeah, it continues into almost this beautiful checklist summary of the entire chapter. Yeah. And it says, desire for sense gratification is the greatest enemy of the conditioned soul. But by mm -hmm. the strength of Krishna consciousness, one can control the material senses, the mind, and the intelligence. By mm -hmm. gradually developing Krishna consciousness, one can be situated in a transcendental position without being influenced by the material senses and the mind. By steady intelligence directed towards one's pure identity. Mm. Beautiful. All right. Mm. I mean, karma yoga was a fun, fun chapter. Any other final thoughts on this chapter, ladies? That's it. I think, you know, do your duty. Yeah. Plug in Krishna. Don't be attached to the results. Don't let your senses go crazy. Be a good leader. Control your intelligence, your mind. Through connecting to Krishna, curb your propensities for lust and desire, and even our desire for overlording and sense gratification, which is kind of why we talked about doing yagyas. If you're not fully in yeah. that level of transcendental love of Krishna, okay, at least develop this mood of gratitude, giving and receiving, giving for what you have received, I mean. Mm-hmm. And we do a bunch of bicep curls and develop some spiritual strength. And then we can <laughs> defeat this enemy known as lust or desire. Mm. And to mm. remember to always just keep your head down, do your duty, detach yourself as the doer. Try to work on not having such a big ego. Don't see yourself as a doer and let Krishna work his magic through you. And tying it back to the equation, what was the equation? Knowledge plus? Devotion. Devotion plus? Duty. Action. Duty. Yeah. Action. Like doing. Yeah, plus duty, but let's make it action because we just finished the whole section on karma yoga, action yoga or union with Krishna, how to develop that consciousness. And then Krishna will work his magic through you. I love that. And every single day we have a choice, ladies. We have to choose faith or we choose fear, right? <laughs> and the choice is up to us. Beautiful. And that ends chapter three. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We will be back next episode starting chapter... Four. <laughs> See you Thanks. back in. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you soon. Bye. Hello, beautiful souls. If you like what you're hearing, please follow us on Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast. And if you love what you're hearing, please make sure to share a link to our podcast at Modern Yogi Podcast with all your friends, families, and long lost cousins. And if you have any questions at all, send us a DM on Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thank you for listening to The, the Modern, Modern Yogi. Yogi.